This morning we are going to continue um, in our series in the first uh, letter of Peter. Uh, I've got a few bits of paper here, so I'm trying to organise myself just a little bit. But um, we're looking at um, the church. We're looking at, at God's people. Um, and we've called the theme, You Are God's People, because that is who we are. Um, and Peter is talking to these five churches um, about being God's people, about the, the, the effect or the, the context of being the church, God's people. Uh, what, what happens when we are God's people? What are some of the results? What what's the call and what's the goal? And, and why does God call us to be his people? Why does God call the church? But specifically the churches there, uh, due to the fact that they're God's people, due to the fact that they're the church, what are some of the things that they're experiencing? What can they know? And we've talked a little about that. But also, what can come across their path? And how would they respond to that? It's a letter to encourage, uh, which he does. But it's also to a, le a letter to exhort them. To exhort God's people and to, to call them up to being God's people. And, and I think that that's a, a word in time for us as the church here in Australia and, and worldwide actually as well. There's this recognition that, that Peter has that it's hard for them living in exile under ungodly and corrupt leaders uh, in a society uh, with values that go nowhere near mirroring the godly values that they have in their newfound identity. Just keep in the back of your mind that many of these are new Christians, many of these are Gentiles that have come out of an old way of life and come into this newfound identity in Christ. And they're encountering now living in a context that where the values are counter what they've, what they've come into in Christ. But in the middle of this, Peter isn't just pumping their tyres so that they can survive. He's not just sort of saying, hang in there so that you can get through, that you make it through. No, he's actually saying you're there for a purpose more so. Uh, you're God's people, you're there, you're the church. And, and you've, you've come together with all different backgrounds and characters and styles and, and skills. Um, uh, and I'm just thinking about that this morning as I'm looking in the room here, all these different skills that come together to be the church, just to do a church service. But think of the wider society. You've come together with all these different backgrounds, characters, style, skills, being built together to impact the world. To impact the world around them and to glorify God in doing that. So that's not just survive, that is thrive. Peter's not just wanting to get them through, he's wanting them to thrive. And that's no easy ask. Not only was the way, the new way that they were part of, not only was it frowned upon, in parts it was also considered illegal. And it was considered subversive to the cultural order of the Roman Empire. So to live out what Peter's saying and, and what he's saying to them is going to come at a cost. There will be suffering. There will be trials. And he's just spoken fairly bluntly and firmly on, on this whole, and last week we talked about this whole submission and that rebellion isn't the way. So clearly coming into conflict with the current order is going to cause suffering and trials. Where they seek to live as God's people through it all, they may pay a price. It could have been in their jobs or the homes and where they could live, whether they could get homes, whether they were you know, locked into enclaves, uh, they're standing in society, whether they belonged or whether they were... You know, all kinds of... We can't imagine what it was like in those times. But there would be a cost for being the church in a Roman culture. And so today we are talking about suffering. 
And I know that there's so many sermons that we could do on suffering, personal suffering. Um, but today we're talking about what it means for God's people, what the, what the consequences are for being God's people and how that might bring suffering and trials. A couple of stories today. Here's one story. During China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900, insurgents captured a mission station and they blocked all the gates out of that mission station but one. And in front of that gate, they placed a cross flat on the ground. And then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled on the cross underfoot, they would be permitted their freedom and life. But any that refused would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students of this mission school trampled the cross under their feet and they were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit that sacrilegious act. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she arose and moved carefully around the cross and went out and faced the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. It's so hard for us in Western society, in middle class Australia, to imagine suffering and persecution at that level. We can't feel it, we can't imagine how it would feel. And if we're honest, you know, if, if, at least in my case, if you're honest, you would sort of say, we quietly ask ourselves, what would I do in that situation? Would I do the same as girl number eight, or would I be like the first seven students? Because quite frankly, there are not yet huge obstacles for us in being God's people where we are. In all its facets, we can still meet, albeit now online, and, and there are things that are stopping us meeting. We can still serve, we still have the freedom uh, to live out our lives, to buy homes, to have jobs. Um, we don't live under that kind of persecution here. We don't have any uh, suffering or any limited freedoms or are those things on the horizon for us as well. There are hints in our society, even in our society, and there's increasing hints um, in small ways. And so those small ways can seem innocuous and they can seem like, oh, you know, they're, they're not so bad. You know, no prayers in Parliament. They want to cancel prayers in Parliaments and councils and, and things like that. And all just for equality reasons, of course. It's for a good reason, so that everyone feels included. Um, no RE or, or limited uh, religious in education or uh, religious chaplains in schools. Of course, for another good reason, so that we don't offend everybody. They seem innocuous. They seem things that, that don't matter. Ways that, but they're ways that don't really intrude on our practice, our freedom as Christians and as churches. And then there are bigger things that, that we recognise are coming to, to mitigate against our values. Some that are perhaps threatening, you, you, can, you can think of saying the safe schools, you know, where we send our kids to school, and, and is that going to be something, or hiring, you know, not being able to hire Christians only in Christian schools, not being able to determine what our children are taught, no choice. Um, the whole conversion therapy bill, and there are more things. And we see that whilst we may not be living in the same way that the churches then were, we can see that it's coming, it, it can be coming. Is there already a kind of oppression of those who are outwardly active or just hold Christian values? Is there already kind of a, a loss of job for not being in favour of something? And I think, was it last year or the year before, someone lost their job because they had uh, 
put on their Facebook page that they were pro-normal marriage. And so that cost them their job. And, and some of you could think of many more examples. So it's not outside the realm of possibility, isn't it? I don't want to turn this into a huge discussion in this area. But it is important for us to understand that Peter is not just speaking to those five churches. He's speaking to us today through the Word. They were God's people. They are God's people. And so are we. And it's in the Word for a reason, isn't it? And I think we would do well to understand it too. After all, Jesus said, and back in Matthew 5, um, verse 11, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he got to the Beatitudes, he went through the Beatitudes, and in verse 11 he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He doesn't say, blessed are you if. Jesus said, blessed are you when. Jesus knew that it was coming. And I think we... Well, I think sometimes I kind of catch myself hoping that that if might be later. I don't know about you. <clears throat> Peter gives a bit of attention to suffering and trials in, in chapter 3 and 4. And we're going to have a look at that a, a bit. And there's three kind of ways that he talks about it. The first one, suffering because of righteousness. So be patient and diligent. The second one, it brings God glory. Love and serve anyway. And the third thing, it's inevitable. So rejoice and do good because you're in good company and you're blessed. We'll have a bit of a look at some of these things. So um, I'm going to read a section of Scripture. I'm going to read one the first section of Scripture this morning. And as I read it out, we're going to have it on the screen for you. But I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open just to glance at it. Because I will just refer to a few words here and there during the uh, during the message. So open your Bibles to, or your phones or whatever, to the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, and we'll have this reading on the screen. And the first reading is 1 Peter 3, 13 to 18. And I'm going to read that for you now. So Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, or your good behaviour rather, in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. It's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So Peter's talking about suffering because of righteousness, for the sake of righteousness. So be patient, be diligent. And our key verse here is, is verse 17, where he says, It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Normally, Peter says, you wouldn't suffer for doing the right thing, or for doing right. But these are not normal times. You're not in a normal situation. Peter recognises that things aren't normal, and that even if they're doing good, even if they're doing what's right, they still seem to be suffering. They still suffer. But he says, then they're blessed. And he's challenging them, be patient. Don't be frightened and be diligent. Keep being diligent in that. 
Peter wants them to keep declaring the excellencies right in the midst of it all. Maintaining the character of Christ. Did you see those words there? You know, in gentleness and respect. Again, causing those that might cause you suffering to be shamed. You know, and that's that kind of sense where, where people are, are, are causing their suffering, where people might be taunting them, where people might be challenging them, and they maintain their composure, they may maintain the attitude of Christ and gentleness and respect. And so those taunts fall on deaf ears, or they begin to look at them and say, well, gee, they're standing up well against all of that, and not becoming like them. It's Turning the other cheek. You might remember a while ago in, in, a, in a message that I, I talked about, I explained the whole concept in the Roman Empire. If you were a, a follower of Christ and a Roman soldier said, you know, drop what you're doing, you must carry my heavy pack for a mile. Now they could only ask him to do it for a mile and then they were allowed to drop the pack and go. And Jesus says, don't just do one mile, do an extra mile. And that that would then cause them to say, wait a minute, we're taunting them, but hang on a second, there's something here. Your suffering and trials must be for righteous reasons. Because that's what points to God. That's what glorifies Him. That's what sets you apart from all of those other people. And their example is Christ's suffering. And Christ's suffering brought about their salvation. Think about that. Think about it and continue. If, if their example is Christ's suffering and Christ's suffering brought about their salvation, and they were unrighteous, what might their suffering bring about? Might that bring about salvation for others or righteousness for others? What does it mean for us? Because this is true for you and I too, doesn't it? We need to be keen to do what's good for human flourishing and for the society around us, whether it's godly or not, being eager to serve, being gentle and respectful. But it's true that at times, doing what's right will bring us into conflict with people and institutions. And that might cause us to suffer as well. It might cost us. I have a friend who is a lecturer at, at Monash University, and, and um, she was, the whole faculty was asked to come to a meeting, uh, and they were being drilled on how to, how to teach in a way that, um, that, that, um, that encouraged, because she teaches on law, that encourages gender fluidity and everything. She refused to come to the meeting and was threatened with her job. I haven't heard what happened there yet. It might cost us. People don't understand why. Why would you not just go with the flow? They might ridicule our values and our reasoning. You know, maybe they want you to cut corners if you work in a certain industry. Or not, uh, you might, um, you may not want to attend certain functions at a university and, and yet people will look at you and not understand. Why would you not do that? And standing up for unborn babies. But why would you do that? Why would you not stand up for the woman and her right to her, her body? And they don't understand. And all sorts of discussions that we might enter into. That, that we find that we're different and we're taunted for being different. But even then, Peter says, we must be ready to explain ourselves. Explain our faith. And, and do that with respect and gentleness. It can be so easy to use harsh words and, and to bag out things. And it's so disheartening sometimes when you see discussions on, 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 a, um, on Facebook or on one of those platforms and where Christians are beginning to use language that actually is like, it, that begins to put down people that don't agree with them. And it's really easy to do that. And, and I can be guilty of that as well. But Peter says, do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. 
The character of Christ needs to shine. Be consistent anyway. Serve anyway. And this disempowers the words of those who want to make us look bad. And as a church, corporately, we want to be doing good in our community. We're eager to do good in our community. Think of the the challenge and, and the opportunity we have with Cavell. But we will do what's right. And we won't compromise on our commitment to God. And that might mean that we may not get a grant. You know, we will write truthfully what we do. We won't write a white lie. We might not get grants. We might not get permission for some things. It, it might cost us. Yet, we will serve. Because that's what we're called to do as a God's people. Peter says we ought not fear. You know, and he, he says in, that, in, in our reading there, he says, do not fear what they fear. What does he mean by that? You know, don't, don't, uh, don't serve what they serve. But know that we are blessed when we do what's right. In fact, we've already been blessed through Christ, haven't we? Because he brought us to God. And Peter reminds us that that salvation, you know, the righteous died for the unrighteous. And he's talking, that was you. That's us. Have another story here. Pastor Farid ministers in worn, torn and predominantly Muslim Syria. Death threats against him are so common that he can't track them all, except for the one instance that he was able to count them. Thirty. He knew that because they were spray he knew that because they were spray painted and numbered on the front of his home. Number one, this is how we're going to kill you. Number two, this is how we're going to kill your wife. Number three, this is how we're going to kill your children. Number four, the church in the Middle East is under more persecution. Number four, etc. etc. The church in the Middle East is under more persecution than anywhere in the world. Not coincidentally, I think, the Christian church in the Middle East is growing rapidly. In the midst of terrible darkness, there's this beautiful ray of hope. God is moving in profound ways. It's amazing how God uses desperate circumstances to open people's eyes to their need for Christ. A portion of Pastor Farid's death threats came by text from a man called Rashid. Someone once asked Farid, why don't you replace your phone so Rashid can't terrorise you anymore? Farid said, no. Rashid's threats remind me to pray for him every day. Nobody else will, so I will. Farid did more than pray. He went to Rashid's home. Their interaction was intense. And as Farid was leaving, he surprised Rashid by saying, I have a gift for your family handed him a Bible. In the Middle East, if someone offers a gift to your family, you, t- you do not turn it down. However, Rashid held the Bible with two fingers like it was poisonous. Some weeks later, Rashid was trapped in a bombing in Syria. The Quran wasn't offering him any comfort. He picked up the Bible in trembling and read it until 6am the next morning. Along the way, he fell in love with Jesus. Rashid now writes worship songs for the church in Syria. Because it brings glory to God. I'm going to read our second reading there. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 11. And again, that will be on the screen. So read along with me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he doesn't live 
the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detesting, uh, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into that same flood of dissipation. And so they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Because our suffering brings glory to God. So love and serve Him anyway. And the key verse there is that last verse, isn't it? Verse, verse um, 11b, where it says, So that in all things God might be praised. And I think of that Farida and Rashid story. Through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Peter says to them, Have the same attitude that Christ has and had and has for them. Though we caused his suffering, he, he loved us and he served us as a servant. He saved us. Salvation brought you out of the old way you lived for many years, selfishly, loving yourselves and serving your own desires. But this is not who you are anymore. Though people from your old way look at you suffering and wonder, why don't you just give up and join them? They may even taunt you and tempt you, Peter says. They may make you jealous and think, wow, I want to go, this is tough, this suffering, and, and, and maybe I should go back to the way that it was before. And Peter lists what those ways were. He says, no, in the midst of that, even though that's happening, keep loving each other, keep serving each other, keep being hospitable, speaking words of life to each other, building each other up, encouraging one another. Your life in the midst of suffering is still for God's glory. Don't lose sight of that. You know, that verse, so that in all things God will be praised. People will come to know Him, and there it is again. The purpose for the church, for God's people, is that they would declare His excellencies, that people would get to know who God is. You know, for us, there are, there are two threats to our witness when suffering and trials hit. When living for God starts to cost us, when, when owning up to our faith or being consistent with our faith might begin to cost us. There's, there's two threats. The first one is that we, we drop out and return to our old way. We look back longingly to, to life beforehand. It seemed a little bit easier. So we might drop out and return to our old way or, and, or just go with the flow and, and begin to compromise. And the second threat is we, in our, in our walk with God, in our effectiveness, in our journey with God, we grind to a halt. We, we stop interacting with, with others, and that's why Peter spends so much time talking about keep loving each other, keep speaking words of life to each other. We stop interacting, we stop serving, we stop witnessing, we stop loving. 
and we get bitter in our words or actions. And these are the threats that come when, to the body of Christ, to us as part of the body when suffering comes. And so for us, Peter's message is the same. You're God's people. You weren't once, but you've left your old way behind. Don't let suffering and trials knock you out of the ring. Don't go back to old habits and, and old lifestyles and don't perhaps start making concessions or start to believe or entertain the misgivings that people, the seeds that people plant in your, in your, in your mind through their challenge. When it begins to cost things that we hold dear, things like security, status, opportunity, getting ahead and, and whatever, we can begin to compromise. We begin to believe those that wonder why we would even, why we would even follow Jesus. They, they question us and say, why would you do that? Look, you could, be so much, you, could, you could get so much more if you did this. And we can then stop serving. We begin to pull out of stuff. We don't rock up to stuff. We don't turn up for things. We stop attending. You know, after all, it can be hard work loving some people, can't it? We do less of what... Peter said in verse 15, less of that in chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, prepare to give an answer for the hope you have. We start doing less of that because it seems harder. It seems almost threatening when people challenge it, when you're sitting in the tea room at work or when you're having a conversation with friends at uni or, or somewhere and you kind of stop talking about it because it seems a bit threatening and hard. We're less interested in doing good. But see, that would be allowing the enemy to take our eye off the prize. God's glory and our call. We need to look to Christ, who through hardship, suffering, rejection, trial, and so much more, had an attitude of love for us. And he became our servant, obtaining our salvation. That brought glory to God. That, that act declared the excellencies of God. What Jesus did, that brought glory to God and that declared the excellencies of God. And Peter says, we must have that same attitude. Is this ignoring that it's hard at times? No, in fact, we know that Peter knew it was as well. And that was a reason that he encouraged him and reminded him, you're not alone. You're built together. Remember that? We talked about being built together because we need each other. And you and I need each other as well as God's people as the church. Often when we suffer or we face trials, when following God gets hard, the first casual, casualty is meeting together, isn't it? You stop going to church or, or life group or prayer partners, etc. You can think of those things, it becomes hard work uh, to log on, to, to Zoom, to, ah, oh, you know, things are tough and I might just skip it this morning, stay in my pyjamas, bed's warm, and we'll see what happens. But you see, the enemy's goal is to... In is to isolate us. And if he can isolate us, that opens a door for him for the next steps, the things that he might want to do in our life. And our protection, our help, our, 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 our support in times of suffering and trials is each other. And often it's in serving that you begin to be served yourself. On January, in January 9, 1985, a pastor in Bulgaria named Christo Kulachev was arrested and put in jail. His crime was preaching in his church. He immediately began to share Christ while he was in prison. He had a trial. It was a mockery of justice 
and he was sentenced to eight months in prison. He did his eight months and he got out and he wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions and we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Suffering is inevitable, so rejoice anyway and do good wherever you are. You're in good company and you're blessed. Our next reading is 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 19. A little shorter, but again it'll be on the screen. So please read along with me. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the Spirit of glory in God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Like our pastor in uh, Bulgaria. I, might, you know, I catch myself wondering what I would do if I was in prison. I would moan and whinge and say the food's not good and, and it's unjust and why am I here? And, and we would stand on our rights and we would probably get um, you know, the human rights group or we'd get our local, uh, if we were in another country, we'd get our embassy to, to fight for us. And <laughs> I think it's interesting. Peter says don't be surprised as if it's something weird that you're going to suffer. In fact, count it as a good thing. Rejoice even. That just as Christ, that you get to share, that you get to stand, as it were, alongside Christ. Just as Christ suffered, which led to Him being glorified, you get to share in that experience. That's the best company you can be in. And just as He was glorified and brought glory to the Father through His suffering, and He was blessed, you'll be blessed. Note though, it's not, there's no good for suffering, it's no good suffering for doing the wrong thing. And He said that back in chapter 3, verse 17. Didn't he? He said, you know, um, uh, suffer for doing good, not doing evil. But if you suffer for being a Christian, two things. A, don't be surprised. He says, they were never going to treat you well anyway. You're taunted and oppressed. Don't be surprised. And that taunting and, and oppression led to some of them being reluctant to identify as followers of the way uh, and filled with fear. So he says, A, don't be surprised, but B, don't be ashamed. Don't be filled with fear. Don't be ashamed to bear the name of Christ. And don't back out. But you should praise God that you're called a Christian. Because judgment is coming and you want to be found in God's camp. And he ends with an exhortation. Should you suffer for following Jesus, commit yourself to keep on doing good anyway and doing right. And there it is. Again, Peter is right through this, this letter, isn't it? You're God's people for one reason and one reason only, that you declare His excellencies, that you bring the good news. Don't let suffering and trials make you lose sight of that. You know, I was thinking this week, I think sometimes we can be surprised uh, when suffering 
comes, when, when things don't go our way. There's this subtle idea or this subtle sense in us sometimes that if we belong to God, if we serve God, then things will go better for us than, say, people that don't. Or you know, we have this kind of sense, well, surely, you know, if God is with me, I'm not going to experience some of those things. And as I said before, there's so much more to say about personal suffering, so many sermons there. But as churches and God's people in society, we kind of think, you know, I think 20 years ago, I was thinking 20 years ago, you would read stories or 25, you'd read stories of pastors that would be, you know, pulled over for speeding and the policeman would say, and he'd hand his pastor's card and they'd let him go again. Now I think you'd get a double fine. You know, I, I think things have turned around. You know, there used to be a whole lot more respect in society 20 years ago for churches and God's people. And not only is there not that respect anymore, but there's a growing disdain. Sometimes we can be a bit surprised at that, can't we? We can think, well, if we follow God, surely things are going to be better for us. Matthew 5 is pretty clear when he said, you know, uh, when you suffer, when you're persecuted. And the world says that to us too, don't they? They say, well, if your God is so good, if your God is so loving, and then we might catch ourselves thinking, yeah, wait a minute, what is with that? Or is that just me? We might be reluctant too, as Peter talks about there. We might be reluctant to stand up publicly for Jesus. And we see what happens to people that do put things like that on Facebook or in the, in the public square. Because we know that at the very least there'll be snickering and at the worst ridicule or maybe even consequences, jobs, things that we lose, social ostracisation, opportunities lost. And in some countries that's even worse, i.e. places like Syria and that. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 18. Just let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. He said, For the message of the cross, salvation, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know, we might think the world looks at us and thinks, why are you crazy? Why do you think that? Why, um, why do you think the way you do? Why don't you just move along with the cultural acceptance of things? And we might claim because Jesus commanded us not to, and that will seem foolish and ridiculous to some, as Paul said in Corinthians. And Peter reminds us that if we do suffer for God, if we do suffer for right, the Holy Spirit rests on us. In us, God with us. We know that, don't we? The power of God for us who are being saved is in us. And we share in Christ's glory. What's that glory? What was Christ's glory? That was the love of the Father, wasn't it? That was total acceptance of the Father. That was belonging to the Father. Christ shared in God's glory in all those things. And we get to share in that same glory, those same things, the love of the Father, acceptance, belonging, salvation. Why is that important right now? Well, judgment will come. We want our name and identity to be firmly in God's family name. And more than that, we want to bring other people into the family as well. So for us too, we wouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't pull back. You know, we might be misunderstood, we might be misrepresented, we might be seen as damaging church and Christians. We might be seen as culturally insensitive. We shouldn't lose sight 
of our call as God's people in good times and in hard times to continue to do good, to declare his excellencies. No one likes suffering or trials. No one goes out of their way to look for them. Least of all me, ask my wife. Yet they're part of our journey on life here, here on earth. And in some eras, and right now in some countries, being a follower of Christ, being God's people is the cause of great suffering, great oppression and great abuse. Yet even in some of the toughest places, the gospel message is growing and the church is surging. Our story, one of our stories was a case in point there. And you can read of many other stories where the church is oppressed, where the church comes under pressure and oppression. The gospel is just exploding in that place. Isn't that amazing? That is the glory of God. That is God's excellencies being declared, isn't it? For these five churches, they were right in the middle of it. And Peter wants them to embrace it and keep going. Because this will bring God's glory. We don't always know or see how God will be glorified through our actions. We don't always have the privilege of seeing the results of it all. But that's not our job after all, is it? We have to continue to own up to our identity and continue to do good. It's God's job to make sure that he receives the glory through us. Is it easy? Definitely not. But we know it wasn't easy for Jesus either, was it? We know that Jesus didn't romp, you know, skipping into his execution. We know that it wasn't easy. But his suffering achieved so much, not least bringing glory to his Father and bringing us into the family. Is suffering inevitable for us as well? Well, history shows us that it's pretty consistent and that we shouldn't suppose that we will be able to sidestep it or try to. But it must never distract us from our purpose as followers of Christ. Jesus did it alone. He suffered alone. But we don't need to. What a gift. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of God that God is with us and he will be with us right in the middle of the storm, right in the middle of the struggle, right in the middle of the trial. God says, I will be with you. Jesus suffered alone. We don't need to suffer alone. And also, being God's people together, we have each other, you know, built together, that Peter says. That's why Peter stresses that. We need each other. We're encouraged to support, build up and remind each other that Jesus went before us. And when one is weak, when, when I'm weak, then someone else is strong and can encourage me. Or when you're weak, then I can encourage you. And, you know, the, the line in, in chapter 4, verse 11, where he says, the verse says, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. What if we worked hard to speak the very words of God to each other when we're struggling and even when we're doing well? That's not just a throwaway line. You know, and that's one of the reasons that the Lord's Supper is so important for us. That's why we celebrate it together. And I know that it feels weird doing it online. And I know that it's much, much better when we do it together in the flesh. And we look forward to that. But that's why the Lord's Supper is so important. That's where it's one of the places that God has given us. One of the, the greatest places that God has given us to be able to speak those words of life to each other. Remember and believe. Remember that Christ gave his life for you. You know, we say that when you, when you come and get the bread and when you come and get the, the juice, you know, um, Jesus' body broken for you to remind each other 
that it was for each other. It's the body, it's the, the people of God, God's people, remembering and reminding each other that Christ suffered. Reminding each other of the truth so that we could share, that you and I could share in the glory and the eternal life with the Father. So we're going to do that. We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper together. Um, and we're going to do that just remembering and believing that Jesus' suffering brought glory to the Father and brought us into that relationship with Him as well and brought us freedom so that we can now do the same, bring glory to God with our lives, even through our suffering.